We'll continue with the archetypal man, the man above the waters, the spiritual man, comprised of the head who is Christ and the body being of ourselves. And we're talking about how he was wearing linen and gold about his waist. Now, the next thing that was said about him is his body was like beryl, B-E-R-Y-L, and his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire. Now, beryl is a mineral that's composed of beryllium and aluminum cyclosiliate. And I have here the chemical formula, which is BE3AL2SIO36. Beryl is a single mineral with many varieties that are distinguished by their color. The well-known varieties of beryl include emerald and aquamarine. There are six known types of beryl. Each type is known because of its distinctive color. The six different types of beryl, as we said, include aquamarine, bixite, emerald, goshenite, heliodor, and morganite. All of the varieties, emerald and aquamarine, of all the, the varieties, emerald and aquamarine are the most sought after for their beauty. And um, I have in front of me a picture of all of these different crystalline forms of, of the uh, metal beryl. They're crystals. Now the thing about crystals is they're clear. They permit the passage of light through them even though they are of different colors. I, I uh, was fascinated by a morganite stone uh, that I found in, uh, in a jewel shop, jewelry store in South Africa on my recent trip. It has the appearance of a diamond and I was told by, uh, by the gemologist who worked in, in the, the shop, in the jewelry store, that um, it was named Morganite because of the industrialist uh, named Morgan who discovered a mine in Africa and uh, made his wife um, quite a number of pieces. Uh, and to this day, Morganite is used as a substitute in jewelry for diamonds. It is not inexpensive, it is rather quite expensive, but not as expensive as diamonds. And it's, but it's more rare than diamonds. But as we have seen, it has colors within it that are um, yellow, green, blue, uh, the bixite is a reddish color, aquamarine is a bluish color, uh, the morganite in its natural shape, in its natural form, tends to be pink, 
Uh, Goshenite tends to be uh, more translucent. What's the point? Why would it even say his body was like beryl? Well, first, the body is translucent. It permits the passage of the light of God through that body. But it could have chosen a single um, crystal that is always the same when it's discovered. But it chose one that had an array, almost a rainbow-like array of colors in it. Here's the beauty of God. The many-membered body comprised of all of the races of humanity as typified by the different colors of beryl. But they all have the quality of revealing the light. And they're all useful as gems, gemstones. They are for adornment and for the permitting of light, for refracting light in a particular fashion to reveal beauty. Uh, I have said that the most objectionable aspect of racism to me is not the stupidity of it, Uh, it is how it fundamentally assaults the message of the cross. See, the message of the cross, according to Colossians, is how Christ, by the extreme of His sacrifice, broke down the middle wall of partition between Jew and Gentile and reconciled all mankind to Himself in one body. Listen, any church group or any social group that countenances racism does not understand the message of the cross. Whatever else they may be, don't don't be taken in by the stupidity of their deception, they don't know Christ. See, Christ is not a Jew or a Gentile. In His flesh, if you know Him according to His flesh, it profits you nothing. We once regarded Christ after the flesh, but we'll do so no longer because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. So what we have is a spiritual man, a spiritual man with a common father. So no, the preachers who speak lightly and step around racism gingerly, they're not speaking for God. They can't be. They cannot be. They're preachers of a social gospel. They understand that within their communities, people don't want to be challenged about these deep-seated hatreds that have shaped their lives and public policy and behaviors and social norms. And these preachers are not, they're not 
courageous, they're cowards. They don't speak for God, they speak for the community. But those who speak for God will unequivocally make the sound that says, this body is made up of beryl, of this component known as beryl. And beryl has an array of colors in it, all of which transmits the light. If you belong to Christ, you may be clothed in a particular color in your humanity, but you're recognizable as being of Christ because you transmit the light. I don't want to say more about that because it frankly is self-evident, but the time has come for the declarations of these things unequivocally, without a hint of reluctance, because this is a time when those who are seeking God need to hear the clear sound. And those who are still worried about their provision and protection are distinguished from those who actually speak for God. Some are dressed in linen and some are dressed in coats made of skin. His face, to go on, his face like the appearance of lightning and his eyes like torches of fire. Here again, depictions of the character of God reflected in a people, face like lightning. This is the exact description of Jesus that we find in the book of Revelation, uh, the the first chapter, where it says, and his face was like lightning, quite simply put, and and, uh, his eyes like torches of fire. I think it interesting because in the reference to his eyes, like torches of fire, we see something about uh, the, the appearance before the throne of the seven spirits of God, like flames of fire. Uh, let me just read uh, from the book of Revelation chapter 1. Um, at verse uh, 13, I saw seven golden lampstands, John is speaking and he sees this vision on, on the island of Patmos and he says, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clotheth a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a band of gold his head, and it's interesting because Christ, you see, is the the gold around him is a band about his chest, whereas the gold gold around the man is uh, is a belt. We'll, We'll make that distinction later on, which is also why we know it's speaking about both Christ as the head and the man who is the body. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, 
and his eyes like a flame of fire. That's exactly what it says here. His body was like beryl, his face like the face of lightning, and his eyes like torches of fire. His feet, his eyes like a flame of fire. And then it goes on to say, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his voice like the sound of a, like the voice of a multitude. And this says from side by side with uh, Daniel, the revelation says, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of many waters. This is Christ, the head at home in his body. Then he goes on to say, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. This says, and his face like the appearance of lightning, the exact, the exact descriptor of this man. Now, what about his appearance like lightning and his eyes like torches of fire? One of the descriptions of Jesus going forward in the book of Revelation here in the fourth chapter, describing him as uh, a lamb, it says, that the lamb had seven eyes uh, and seven horns. I'm looking for the particular uh, passage. Oh, by the way, uh, a rainbow was around the throne like an emerald, and um, the lamb had it may be in the, the next chapter over, uh, refers to him, and we'll come to it shortly, uh, that he had the, the seven horns and seven eyes. And what I wanted to point out about that description, seven horns and seven eyes, his eyes like torches of fire, the seven, the number seven represents completeness. So he sees in every way that sight can be uh, realized. What do I mean by that? You remember that when the serpent tempted Adam, it was with reference to sight that the serpent indicated to Adam that if he ate of the tree, Adam and Eve, that his eyes would be opened and that he would know good and evil. But So the, the motif of the eyes is a prominent feature all throughout the description of man. So the man who sees by his soul, that's what happens when his eyes were opened, can only understand things from the point of view of the natural order. 
Adam displayed a competence in being able to arrange the natural order. But when the eyes of his understanding were closed, because the eyes of his reason were opened, he fell from his exalted position as God's representative to that of one whose job was to survive because he could no longer see as God sees. That's why the eyes of our understanding need to be opened again. And this promise in this man is that his eyes are like torches of fire, his sight has been restored. In the Lamb who has seven eyes, all seeing is possible. What do I mean by all seeing? Well, in the earth you see and you understand, this is not about visual sight, this is about all forms of sight. It's not, it's not unique to what we perceive through, through these optics, these eyes, and interpret by our brain. It means that we see the past, we understand. The word see then is synonymous with the word to understand. We understand the past, we can see it for what it is. We understand the present, not in terms of logic and reason and the way facts are put together uh, and synthesized in order to project things. No, we see beyond the pale of those limitations. And we see the future, which is when you're seated in heavenly realms, when you're seated positionally, in Christ, your point of view includes the future because you understand how the order of things progresses from one epoch to another to another and how it will proceed in the future. This frankly is the book of Revelation in a nutshell. The past that has been, and that's why it refers so heavily to Daniel because of the things that were prophesied in Daniel, the present day in which John lived and it projected the understanding of the things of God into the future. But that's not the limitations of of vision. You are allowed to look into the mind of God and see with understanding of what God sees. You understand the events in your own life, you understand the events of other people's lives, you understand the events that relate to the entire future from the viewpoint not just of heaven but beyond heaven from the mind of God, the one who controls all of it. So whatever you speak from the mind of God, when you speak it into time and space, it typically is ahead of the time of its occurrence. So people will tend to view those utterances as being asymmetrical and those are the charitable views of it, but they will also view them as foolish. They will view these understandings as the crazed ruminations of an unsound mind. 
And you have to have the anchoring in your mind of eternal truths in order to withstand the pushback that inevitably comes from this kind of criticism. But eventually, eventually, you will be proven to be true. Now your goal in all of this is not to be validated or vindicated in your vision. No, that will happen inevitably. Your goal ought be that you speak as the oracles of God, that you say what God is saying. Because if the trumpet does not give the precise sound that that relays the command of God, then indeed no one can prepare for the battle. When God shakes the earth, He shakes the earth by a sound. So there's a connection between sight and sound. So He says that His voice is the voice of a multitude. I've skipped over burnished bronze, I want to pause only to acknowledge it speaks of your feet, your feet being as it were refined, shod with the preparation that indicates refinement of the gospel of peace. In other words, what you're about is the business of God and you carry it upon clean feet. By the way, animals that were judged to be clean or unclean, one of the qualifications was whether or not they had a cloven hoof as opposed to paws or many-toed animals. The ones with a clean hoof were one with the ones with a cloven hoof and they were edible uh, under the law. But the idea was related to cleanness. These creatures that were edible were never predatory and they were not susceptible to carrying the diseases of their prey. They were primarily grass eaters in, in the Old Testament. This was the picture that God wished to present, things that walked cleanly upon the earth and He used the cloven hoof to suggest that. Now there are other qualifications of course, Uh, that was not the only uh, qualification, however the idea was that of cleanness. But as I was saying, there appears now to be a connection between uh, the face, the eyes, face like lightning, the eyes that can see, the seven seven eyes of God and the sound of the voice, the the sound being like the sound of many waters. Clearly the speaking of God through all the vessels that represent His body, but they speak with the orchestration and beauty of harmony. They all make a different sound as as the instruments of an orchestra, each one makes a different sound, but the sound 
is harmonious and it produces an emotion. When you listen to, to the various instruments of an orchestra, each playing the part, as the, as the composer of the musical score, musical piece, intended, it, something happens in you beyond the compendium or the orchestration of sounds. It produces an emotion. And what that does is it tells you what the composer was feeling or thinking when he created the work. So the voice of many, the voice of a multitude is not a discordant sound. Although the sounds are different, it's not discordant, it speaks harmoniously. The same emotion, the same thought conveyed through a multitude of voices. So again, as I said, whoever denies the diversity of the body of Christ, is an, their point of view is an affront to this most basic principle of God's love for and His desire to express Himself through the many voices, the many voices. I challenge whatever calls itself the church to start standing up for this truth lest we be excluded from relevance in the things of God in this hour. In this hour. God is bringing us back to the commonality of humanity out of which He's selecting a people who will speak for Him because it's this voice that shakes the heavens and the earth to bring in the current iteration of the kingdom of heaven. So in Hebrews 12th chapter the following is said, once more God speaks from heaven and He says, I will not only shake the earth but also the heavens so that everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that the kingdom which cannot be shaken may remain. In the shaking of all that can be shaken, He is removing that which is inconsistent with the sound from heaven. On the day of Pentecost, when this sound was first made, the scriptures define in chapter 2 of the book of of Acts, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like as of a rushing mighty wind. That word in the Greek is an echoing sound. It means when God speaks out of the heavens, there has to be like a parabolic antenna, a human response that echoes it back to God and then the thing is set up in the earth and it runs through the earth and the whole earth is filled with that sound. Now, this man from heaven who is speaking to us, who is supposed to be speaking to us, is clad in beryl, many colors, and each of these voices will speak harmoniously into the earth 
and the harmony of that sound will bring hope to the world because that sound comes from heaven. That sound is the gospel, the good news, not of going to heaven when you die, but the good news of the love of God that He would call us His sons. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we might be called sons of God. And as such, born from above, and when we live in the earth, we stand above the water of promise to represent accurately that which is in the mind of God from before the creation of the world. This is the man above the water, head and body, Christ and the members of His body. For further discussion, I want to encourage you to look closely at the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that speaks of this body and its many members. That's where I want to go when we continue.